Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Bill Tai, chairman and a monetary co-founder and COO of MetaGood, the for-profit company that strives to build a better future for Web3 while doing good along the way. Bill has been funding startups as a venture capital since 1991 and has 23 of his startups become listed companies. Originally trained as a chip designer, he joined LSI Logic, a seminal Silicon Valley startup formed by the CEO of Fairchild Semiconductor after earning a JUICE degree, that's electrical engineering degree, with honors from the University of Illinois. In addition to being a partner at Charles River Ventures, he co-founded nonprofit Mai Tai Global, a professional networking group that merges work, play, and philanthropy. Mai Tai also heads up the Extreme Tech Challenge, an international startup competition that culminates in a pitch presentation to Sir Richard Branson, on Necker Island. Amanda has over 20 years in digital media sales and business development experience from Twitter, NBC, Zagat, Five Men, Targus Info, and Axiom, all of which were acquired at some point as well. She's a frequent speaker at blockchain industry events, including NFT NYC, Ethereal Summit, South by Southwest, VCon, and soon to be NFT LA. A Minneapolis native, Amanda received a BA from Princeton University and an MBA from Wharton. MetaGood empowers communities to be a catalyst for positive collective action. Through its first NFT project, OnChain Monkey, MetaGood has simultaneously created value for its community members and contributed to several important causes. Mandeville, welcome to the Edge of NFT. Thank you. Honored to be here. So great to have you both. Thanks for having us. You do have some relationships with some of the biggest projects in the space, investors, advisors, friends. What drew you to MetaGood? Give us the origin story. The origin story dates back to the funding of Dapper Labs. I did happen somehow to be into peer-to-peer computing in the 90s and ended up, a friend of mine started Second Life, and I became Alan Greenspan Gollum and helped create the concept around what became the Linden Dollar around 2003 or four. And so when the Bitcoin white paper came out, it was an immediate draw, and I ended up in that industry around 2010 funded Bitfury. So the silicon that became Bitfury mining, me and a couple of kiteboarders actually funded that silicon ASIC chip in 2011. That eventually led to me passing on the formation of Ethereum, but then realizing that it was going to be important. And that year I decided I'm going to back a couple of projects in Ethereum. And I funded uh, Power Ledger Fluidity that created the first DEX through AirSwap and Dapper Labs that had created CryptoKitties. And so when CryptoKitties got up and running, it became obvious to me that there was a lot of power, a lot of economic power in communities that were interested in these digital assets. And I wanted to capture some of that energy to do some other things that were good for this world. And separately, as you mentioned in my bio, I had helped start a a nonprofit that the name has evolved to become Acti Global. Athletes, conservationists, technologists, artists, innovators. We support both environmental conservation and economic economic empowerment through entrepreneurship. So along the environmental front, we were throwing a gala, an ocean gala, and with Sylvia Earle, one of the world's time 100 people, the famous woman in ocean space, and I wanted to do something interesting. So I asked the team at Dapper Labs CryptoKitties to create a special edition CryptoKitty. They did. It was called Hanu Kitty. It is a CryptoKitty with a turtle shell. 
and very cute. You can find it on Giphy. You can look it up through a bunch of search engines. And we managed to auction that off for tens of thousands of dollars. And we gave the money to Captain Paul Watson, who parked his ship to fund something called Operation Gyro at the turtle nesting area of the island of Antigua. And he had people walk the beaches 24 by 7 to protect the turtles to make sure the babies got off into the water and that the bigger ones didn't get eaten. And that was an idea that happened around like 2017, 2018. So it's been a good four years. But I always knew that that general idea could be made to be lower friction, replicable, scalable. And then that led to the formation of Metagood. Let me also say, we don't talk enough about Second Life, I feel like, in this yes. space. Yeah, sure. It, it doesn't come up that often. Yeah, totally. So I appreciate you raising that. Amanda, how about you? What was your story? What was your journey to Metagood? My journey to Metagood was, I mean, I've known Bill since 2013 through Acti Global and helped to run that community for the last couple of years. And we wanted to do an NFT to raise some funds for Acti Global. And we did it, but ran into like a lot of issues along the way. And I was thinking there has to be a way to use, to harness the power of NFTs and those communities to connect them with causes. So that was kind of the root idea in my head. And then Bill was kind enough to connect me with our co-founder and now CEO, Danny Yang. And Danny you know, is a PhD in computer science from Stanford. He was the founder of MyCoin, which is the largest cryptocurrency exchange in Taiwan. Founded a company called Bloxier, which he sold in 2018, and Bill had back to his previous company. So then Danny and I kind of got together and we were kicking around a lot of different ideas from everything from like a marketplace to other ideas. We're working on an art collection that actually involved bears. And then Danny, just being the technical genius that he is, he decided, just kind of on the side, to just work on a little project. He's like, I wonder if I could do a 10,000 profile pick collection all on chain in a single Ethereum transaction. And so he was just kind of working on this thing on the side. And then September 11th, Bill and I get a WhatsApp message from Danny. Hey guys, I did something pretty cool. You might want to check it out. And that was basically the launch of our Genesis collection. And within four hours, they were all minted out. Roam from Dapper Labs retweeted it. And it was just like, they were gone like hotcakes. And that was basically the launch of OnChain Monkey. Amazing. So cool. And just a little fun aside is that our head of events for Edge of Company, Zach Sekar, planned a little happy hour at a popular bar in Venice for Dapper after CryptoKitties launched. And I met, I think Jeff was there too. We met Mac. And we heard the whole story and, you know, he was on the phone a lot because things were still breaking. Like they pretty much broke the chain. And that was our first exposure to NFTs, which got us excited about the industry. So I thought it worth the genesis blocks of this industry. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's been a lot of building. And I think there's also been a lot of ideating on what problems can we solve in Web3. I was just in Davos and there's really exciting conversations there and making projects like what you all are doing so relevant and so important in the space as we kind of get past this sort of PFP sort of phase. And I'd love to sort of dig into what are the big problems that you all think we can solve that sort of inspired Metagood. To me, and going back to Second Life again, because (laughs) people don't talk about it enough, Second Life was built at a time when things were really hard to build with the technology that existed at that time. Computers were not that fast. Broadband was kind of spotty. Not everybody had internet. And the clients had to be massive software downloads, you know. So it was just not that user-friendly. But that company accomplished a lot with real-world physics or physics implemented behind the UI of the assets. And it was a real live economy. 
I think they had like a giant concert for Mariah Carey or someone, right? Oh, you like, too came in. You too, yeah. yeah. I- IBM used to have like a booth in there to display products and things. So there was a lot of experimentation of things that would become more commonplace today, whether it's live streaming through Twitch or kind of metaverse related things. But all of that was already pioneered in high friction in Second Life. And as we move forward in the world, some of the elements that were kind of born in that era are coming to life both inside the metaverse and being abstracted outside to touch real world people and assets on connected ways. So I think what are the problems to solve? There's still a bunch of problems to be solved in the kind of the web infrastructure layer to try to make things cheap enough to run economically, you know, and, and you see it today in the friction around, say, like the viewers at the headsets. So yeah, those work really well, but they're kind of expensive. At some point, the rendering capability is going to get a lot. It's gotten a lot more economical than 10 years ago, but it's going to go a lot further because of the cloud. Totally get it. And I guess like moving forward, we solve these problems on a social impact scale. What do you think is possible using Web3 that maybe wasn't as easy to accomplish otherwise? Yeah, well, I think the communities are a lot larger now because of the breadth of use. The blockchain as a standard methodology to have a kind of trusted distributed database where things act like a real currency. Because, you know, Second Life is basically SQL server with almost like loyalty points programs, right? And, and they were convertible into fiat currency, but through weird little exchanges like IGX that Brox Pierce ran in 2005 and six. So now... A lot of those things are already embedded in what you can do with a digital asset, whether it's an NFT or a cryptocurrency. And the communities are big and broad. The communications channels that exist across everything from the existing social media things to newer things like Discord, you can spin up communities and spread messages fast. You can resolve questions at scale quickly in ways that you couldn't before. So you can get communities of interest built, discussing things and making decisions at a speed that's just unfathomable 20 years ago. So essentially, like whatever the world's problems are, whether it's poverty or cleaning the oceans or conflict resolution or even getting the Constitution funded, you can do these things with more ease through that community-centric sort of gathering multiplier effect. And the soil is right for that. Like you can plant seeds in the desert, nothing will happen. Now we're at a point where there's a generational change occurring right now where pretty much the entire, anybody that's like 25 and younger, maybe even like 45 and younger, they care because they see what's happening to both the destruction of our environment, the rising temperatures, you know, and, and yeah, there's arguments about it's just like cyclical or is it really climate change, but people know that it's affecting them and they want to do something about it. And for our audience at home, Bill corrected his answer after looking at me and realizing I'm not under 25, but I do <laughs> probably fit in that group. Yes. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Bill. Guys, let's talk about OnChain Monkey and what it is and how it incorporates you know, some of this DNA we're talking about right now. Why is it so special? So, I mean, we're really a collection of firsts. We were launched on September 11th, Free Mint. We were the first profile pick collection all on chain in a single transaction. So all of the metadata, all the images are on SVG, and it's very energy efficient to launch that way. 
We were one of the first NFT collections, to my knowledge, that has ever projected NFTs on landmarks in San Francisco and LA. It was kind of like shining instead of a bat signal, a monkey signal to raise awareness of on-chain monkey and to be like, hey guys, we need to do something differently. And then weeks later, we projected NFTs on the side of the Armadillo building in Glasgow, Scotland during COP26, while world leaders were meeting to again, inspire a billion people to think about the climate change crisis. So we've just done things really differently. Even most recently, we did OCM Earth, which was a mosaic of 25,000 of our monkeys that we shaped in the picture of the earth with a heart over Ukraine. And we sold those for 0.1 ETH. We did say there's no utility. This is like basically donating, right? And we raised 185 grand in two weeks. And then instead of just kind of our team deciding who it should go, like where it should go, we consulted with one of our investors, Holly Branson of Virgin Unite, and said, hey, we want this to go to a good humanitarian cause. She gave us three options, and that was actually our first DAO snapshot vote, which charity it should go to, and it went to save the children to basically fund humanitarian aid in Ukraine. Starting a DAO is also definitely on the edge, and I'm really curious, why start a DAO, and how does it apply to your vision? I think a DAO is a natural fit for communities. You know, if you think about trying to drive a collective action, across a group of people that share a common interest in both an asset category as well as a cause. It's a perfect way to map those two. So the way our company functions, it is a for-profit company because we need to make enough to keep going and funding cool causes. But as the digital assets that we create trade on exchanges, a certain part of that is commission. That commission comes into a bucket and split into two pieces. One is a foundation-like entity that is the pool of capital DAO gets to vote on. The other funds operations of the company. So as this capital pool builds up, separately, the members of the community that are monkey holders, the NFT holders, they can suggest projects. They can be of any kind. So it's very democratic, very open. They can be Web3 technology projects. They can be charitable projects. They can be open source projects, but the group then can nominate. There's discussion and then things resolve to whether or not the group wants to apply capital. We were doing a social DAO panel over at Decentral, talking to some of the folks over there. ATX DAO was part of that. And it was interesting that they're reaching out globally to other DAOs and trying to find these synergies between them and utility across DAOs everywhere, which again, it sounds a lot like society in general and some of the complex interactions that happen across governments. We're just at the very, very beginning right now, but it's cool to see these things really start to evolve. And also what's getting really interesting is because we've created such an authentic and passionate community of NFT holders, we've been getting reached out to by very large brands who want to understand how can we leverage, how do we move into the Web3 space? How do we offer NFTs to our customers, to our shareholders, to engage, to incentivize them either with fungible or non-fungible tokens? So all of those kind of large brands, we said, hey, you should buy some monkeys, get into our community, join our DAO. This consulting and then, <laughs> knowledge is valuable, you know? Let's do a little yes, bit of a I Web3 mean, exchange we've got, here. We've got Bill Tai, legendary Silicon Valley investor. We've got yes. Danny Yang, like the consummate tech builder, incredible technical genius. Myself on the business side, I said, yeah, come in, buy some monkeys, participate in our DAO, and then there are projects we can do 
with you that can get funding from the DAO. And also you have a built-in base of customers who are already going to be consumers for your projects because they're on-chain monkey holders. Any non-anonymous brands that we can talk about that are now monkey holders? I'll mention two. These are not signed yet, so I have to give that caveat. But we are going to be doing something with HUD8, who are going to be buying some on-chain monkeys. And we're hoping to do a POAP with them for an upcoming event where there'll be some very high-profile people. And it's just a great way for them to kind of get their brand out, kind of like a digital swag in terms of a badge that you were there, which is a very big flex in anyone's wallet if you come to this event. And then last night at our gathering, we've been chatting with the New York Stock Exchange about doing something as well, which can be really big scale. Holy cow, yeah, so many cool things coming up. And one I wanna talk about in particular is Karma. So right here, very (laughs) soon, right around the corner. Tell us a little bit about this drop. It's your second drop, right? Actually, our first drop was that Genesis collection, 10,000 monkeys. Then we did a snapshot and dropped 10,000 desserts. So we had 55% ice pops, 45% Divine Donuts, and 15 Celestial Cakes, which have been selling for 65 to 80 ETH. And then this will be our third collection, which has been designed by a Hollywood animation team. And what the coolest story is, it was one of our community members who basically created a monkey derivative of his on-chain monkey and posted on Twitter. And people in our community loved it so much. We reached out to him and said, hey, do you want to come work with us on our next collection? So we hired him. He hired his boss and two other colleagues. They're literally the team behind Rio Ice Age and Ferdinand, they've been working on this collection since October, and that's what's coming. So you have a Genesis monkey, it can eat D1 or D2, like both desserts, and then it will get basically a Karma monkey with the traits of the Genesis monkey. So that's for existing holders. So you can come in now on and buy Genesis, or you can wait till the public mint and just get your Karma monkey. All right, and go buy now. That's what you said. Buying now is good because and there's better rarity chances buying your desserts and knowing what you're going to get than waiting for the public mint. I will say, Amin and I were on a panel together earlier this week in 110 degree weather. <laughs> and I think I still heard this correctly, that you really just like, just let them go. I think that's in terms of the creation process, which I think is so cool in terms of like, You all have a lot of experience, a lot of expertise, a lot of strategic guidance you could provide to the different dimensions of on-chain monkeys and MetaGood. But to the extent that you can, you're just letting people roll with it and seeing what happens organically. And I think that's the power of sort of the Simon Sinek sort of role. You define this meta purpose and see what happens. Pretty awesome. Thank you. I think that's the way the world should work. I think I've always struggled when I've been in top-down organizations And I think those limit creativity. And in our community, there are such interesting people. Like Amanda was saying, the people that ended up driving the art for the Genesis Collection were original holders that happened to be artists that worked on Academy Award-nominated films. Web3 is that, too. Yeah, yeah, just like it just happens. (laughs) So without suspending sort of the creative, innovative spirit, what are the types of projects you'd like to see sort of encompass in the MetaGood community? Wow. We first of all, again, in the spirit of not being top down, we would love to see that come from the community. But I mentioned broadly kind of three buckets of things where I think there's going to be incredible things happening. One is the for-profit company space. As you mentioned, there's a lot of stuff that still has to be invented and deployed in Web3 to make the industry reach its potential. And that's not going to come from us necessarily. We might do little pieces of it, but I think the spider web effect of all the thousands of people in our community that see things, that are able to nominate things, that can then put them in front of thousands of others, that can then spread the word and provide funding, we're an amplifier for that kind of thing. So I think 
key new technologies, key new movements, key new products in Web3 can get their legs, get their sea legs in our community. I'd say there's going to be some things that are not so much companies, but open source projects. I funded a lot of different open source projects over the years, mostly in kind of like bits and bytes and things like that. And I think there are some things that lend themselves better to that business model than for-profit companies. And this is a perfect vehicle for something like that as well. And then, of course, there are so many things to be done in the domain of charitable giving to support causes that will never make money by themselves, whether it's things around ocean conservation or preventing climate change or the plastics issue that we have in this world. Projects like that, there may be some for-profit things that come out of there, but maybe not. And I think we can do these spot things as well, like the Afghan girl getting lifted out of the arms of the Taliban. That literally changed lives, her and her whole yeah. family. So lots of things ahead. Well, definitely some good fodder for current community members and potential community members that are listening. Let's piggyback off of that and talk specifically about the meta good and on-chain monkey roadmaps, right? So what are those specific things that you guys have on your roadmap here for the next couple of quarters? The main thing that we've obviously been really heads down is this public event on June 29th that that goes super well because, as Bill was mentioning, a certain percentage of the Uzmint revenues will go into our Dow treasury. So when we hit 10,000 ETH, we decided to give 50% to the company of all revenues and 50% into the treasury Dow, which is a very high percentage compared to most Dows on mints and on go-forward trading revenues. So that's been our main focus. So really getting that up and running because we started it and it's a lot of work to run a DAO really effectively. Everything from getting all the proposals, giving them good feedback, educating the community on why we're doing it, what type of things they should vote for, what's appropriate in terms of funding, right? As investors, we're always like, do they need that much or can we do it for less? And so thinking about all that. So definitely the DAO. And then what we're really excited about that we haven't announced yet, but I'll give you a little, I think it's coming out like in the next week or so is this idea of missions. So you can send your on-chain monkey on a mission. And the first one is going to be basically around the concept of nesting, like hold your NFT for 45 days, then you'll be dropped some type of fungible or non-fungible token. I'm not going to give all the details yet on that, but that's just one thing. So what's so cool is we've created these incentive systems to change how people behave both online and then in the real world. So that's kind of our first experiment. You can imagine that we've already integrated with Twitter and Discord. So if you tweet with OnChain Monkey and your wallet's connected to the OnChain Monkey website, you can earn a digital banana. In our Discord, people every eight hours can earn a banana, give a banana, and people give bananas when people are doing good things. And those bananas, obviously they have value. It's kind of like social value within our community. But you can also use those for real world things like buying merch, buying hats, buying allow list spots. Really, this concept of missions, I think, is going to be critical for us. And the nesting thing is just one little beginning step in what we think is how do you incentivize people to create value within a community, but then work together for a greater good? Jeff, you know what I'm thinking? I want that banana to come with some peanut butter. Right. Like it's just that (laughs) can't do one without the other. But that's amazing. And it's a contrast to other communities. Like we get different concepts shared with us every day. And like there's another community that if you sell below the floor, you get a 30 percent penalty. So I think, you know, positive versus negative incentives. It's a big ground for experimentation and inspiration. And before we get to our next segment, I am curious what other projects in this space inspire both of you. There are several. I think, you know, man, I both like the world of women thing. The unicorn, I do like the unicorn doll project, you know, because I'm friends with Nadia. 
Yeah, Rebecca and Nadia. Yeah, I think that's kind of a cool. I mean, it's very timely, obviously, because it's addressing such a crazy problem in this world that you wouldn't think could exist today. So I think that one's been amazing. And I think just the power of the people that are in the world of women is fantastic. And Randy's Randy's one of our big supporters as well. So I mean, you were asking kind of before we got started, what was the first thing you bought? So I was thinking through NFTs and one of our investors is Rowan from Dapper Labs. So I've been really impressed with Dapper Labs, not just Crypto Kitties, but how my first NFT was buying an NBA Top Shot. I'm not even a huge basketball fan, but I was just like, I got it. It was a gamified approach to getting me to buy it. I could yep. just do it with my credit card. It was super easy. So I love how they're innovating. Like the whole flow ecosystem, oh, yeah. I think, is awesome. Such a good job. It's such an it early has. stage of this I segment mean, of the evolution of NFTs. What a good job. They another yeah. inspiration for the show. And there's someone here that got a rare LeBron, and it was not me. <laughs> <laughs> Go, early go, days. go. Yeah. And then Bill was mentioning, obviously, you know, Randy Zuckerberg is one of our investors and she founded Hug.xyz, which is kind of accelerator helping people. Like, I think that's another really important thing that if we talk about roadmap, we haven't figured out quite yet what we want to do, but helping onboard new people into crypto, educating them on security. We have a partnership with Ledger. We were the first NFT collection to create a custom on Monkey Ledger. So stuff like that's important, like to continue doing education and like, how do you keep your NFTs secure? How do you make sure you don't click on the wrong link in Discord? Because while a lot of our NFT community, I will say, is quite savvy, we want to make this accessible for more people. And to do that, we have to help educate them. We like Hug.xyz. And then she co-founded Meta Angels. And I'll be speaking on a panel with them at NFT NYC. So I've, I've just been getting to know their project a little bit in preparation for that. And it's a cool project. And I'll mention a couple of other ones. One is a real project that exists. The other ones that may be coming. But the one of com project is very cool because it's opening that space that empowers artists. And they started with musical artists that maybe had sold their music rights to other labels and things. So a lot of the artists were issuing like digital, like picture type assets, and it allows creators to really touch their fans in a different way. And that company's made a lot of progress. If people follow that company, they will have seen that about 10 days ago, the world's largest physical collectibles marketplace, eBay, chose one of to help them migrate to digital assets. And they did a Wayne Gretzky collection as a test, but there's significant change that can happen there. Like if you think about the eBay model, where if there's a physical asset and I sell it to you and then I got to ship it, you can't sell it until you get it. And then it moves again, right? That they've now set up a vault. So there'll be a digital certificate. So I could sell it to you. You could sell it to her. She could sell it to you all in the same day. You know, so the volume's going to go like that. And they have the one pass now. And we Mm -hmm. actually interviewed them the day they announced the partnership with the Grammys at the NFT New York. So we've been following those guys. Our friend Eric Mendelson's on that team and big fan of all the things that they're doing in the space too. And the one that I'm hoping launches that hasn't yet, we've been helping the team at a Burning Man camp called Robot Heart one of the pioneering music camps uh, on the Palaya that they did a, a little foundation dinner a couple months ago. And at that dinner were folks like Deep Diplo and uh, Guy La Liberté, the founder of Cirque du Soleil, who's now a wow. DJ. Yeah, They've been kind of busy taking the iconic Robot Heart logo and turning it into variants that address certain things. And at some point, I think they're going to issue them. I hope they issue them, but they're kind of working on it. A lot of alpha and maybe alpha on this show. Yeah, <laughs> definitely dig through the episode. What will it, Bill and Amanda? Thank you so much for giving us all the details on MetaGood, on OnChain Monkey, and everything to come. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. 
It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service soup-to-nuts and whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. We want to shift gears and go into segment two, which is called Edge Quick Hitters. It's basically a fun, quick way for us to get to know you a little bit better. We're looking for short, single word or few word answers, but we'll dive in a little deeper here or there. You guys ready to jump in? Sure. All right, we'll do it. Amanda will go first and oh, I'll follow thanks, Phil. <laughs> Unless, no, you got to mix it up because you got to surprise people with the question, right? Okay, so we'll, we'll, do the first, we'll do the first five with Amanda and then okay. we'll switch. How about okay. that? Okay. okay. Question number one. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? I feel like it may have been like an entrance to like a roller rink when I was a kid. That's rad. Okay. Yeah. Love it. Actually, I will answer that. So you always remember your big purchases. The, the first big purchase I made was a BMW in 1987 that I still drive. So people that know me well know that I really don't ever sell anything. <laughs> so I tend to buy and then I just hold. Love I it. still drive that car. That's great. Amanda, question two. (laughs) What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Oh, gosh. Wow, that's a tough one. Can you come back to me on that one? Come back. Can you come back? Okay. You You know, I agonized, or as I said, I don't sell very much because I was Zoom's first backer. My holding was really pretty big. I had some tax people telling me that I needed to gift a bunch of it. So I guess it's not really a sale. So that was kind of the first thing. But usually I just hang on everything. And that was a good call because Zoom was really low, then really high. And now it's kind of in between. Right, right, right. I guess this is probably later. But I I mean, I do remember like my first big sale that I kind of celebrated and I was excited about was my first job out of college, which was actually here in Austin, Texas, a Trilogy Software. And I sold a software deal. And for me, that was like a huge thing. It was like an eight-month sales process. And I remember just being super stoked. I'm sure there was something smaller. Like, I know there's stuff smaller along the way, but that was probably the thing I was That's most proud one. of. Oh, yeah. yeah. That counts. Question number three, Amanda. What is the most recent thing you purchased? Probably clothes for my daughter. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old. I do like to also get stuff at like used stores because she's growing so fast. And from a sustainability standpoint, it doesn't yeah. feel right to keep buying new stuff. But sometimes there'll be something very cute that I see, like a sundress when she needs. So that's the last thing. Plenty First of swag thing, yeah. around here for her as well, right? Yes. <laughs> Bill, how about you? Mine was a Garmin 
86 CSI, <laughs> which is a it's a location device that floats if you're in trouble in the ocean somewhere, you yeah. know, so it won't sink. And I'm on the water a lot kiteboarding, and I'm going to be on the ocean a bunch this summer, and I just figured I needed a tracking device that would float if I got into trouble. Super smart. Question number four, Amanda. What is the most recent thing you sold? Actually, this is kind of along the lines of what Bill said, but the most recent thing I sold was I had some kite boards from 2015. And I decided with my daughter, I was like, I'm going to wait and I'm going to get new kites when I start really kiting again. So that was like the last big thing I sold. Okay. Bill, how about you? Wow. I literally can't think of anything. Can you tell the story about your computer though? Sure. Okay. Bill was the first investor in Zoom. And when we started MetaGood, we said, Bill, there's going to be, you know, this is COVID, right? Bill, you need to have Zoom backgrounds. So you need to get make sure your computer can have these Zoom backgrounds. And he had a laptop from how long ago? 2011. 2011 that could not do Zoom backgrounds. So a group <laughs> of us actually banded together and we're like, we're going to buy Bill a new laptop. So when he's on calls on Zoom, which he backed, he will have the ability to do Zoom backgrounds. So this is really true that he is not a transactional person in any way. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Coming across. Absolutely. Beautiful. Question number five. Amanda, what is your most prized possession? I would definitely say it is like my time. It's not really a possession, but it's definitely the most valuable thing that I think we all have. I think that works. Bill, how about you? Well, I don't really prize possessions. So I think it's probably this. It's this little necklace thing that was not purchased, but it was made by some friends. It's a symbol that represents the nonprofit that we drive. And the symbol is kind of a cross between the Da Vinci Man and the Freemasons logo. Oh, right on. Bill, we're going to toss it over to you for question six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service, and experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? What do you have your eye on? Well, first of all, I don't think I would ever buy it for me. It would be definitely something for kids. And it would probably be something to do with an educational project, like maybe a robot kit yeah. for somebody to build. Right on. Amanda, how about you? Yeah, I haven't looked into it yet. Probably someday I could do it. But I am fascinated by seeing people go to space. It's not on my immediate radar, but I think at some point in my lifetime, that is something that I would like to experience. It's a common theme on this show, for sure. It's out there for people, for sure. Question number seven, Bill. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? Good judgment. Not to say that I think I have good judgment, but I think I've learned to not make bad judgments. Just generally good judgment. I think when I fund companies, fund people, I'm not really funding companies. I'm funding, I typically work at the stage when they're kind of like one to three people in a company trying to chase an idea. And I'm just generally looking for a good wave for someone to ride and somebody with really good judgment that will listen and take advice. And so I think great judgment just, it makes life happen. Indeed. Amanda, how about you? Curiosity. I just think life is all about continually learning. I hope that throughout my life, I have the opportunities to keep learning. And I hope that my children also have that curiosity and thirst to learn. Curiosity and good judgment, hand in hand, for sure. Question number eight, Bill, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? I would like to be able to get better sleep. It's kind of a double-edged sword because I'm a pretty high-energy person, and my mind is racing all the time. And I've had to force myself to learn ways to keep it quiet. So, yeah, I wouldn't want to pass on that, like, frenetic, just explosive mind thing mm -hmm. unless they had the ability to control it. 
It is. We can relate. Amanda, how about you? I would say sometimes I can be very analytical about things. And so I'm thinking about all the things that could happen or different options. And that can make me a little slower in decision making than I'd like to be. And I think I'm getting better at it, but it's just kind of moving forward with the flow and just knowing it's going to all work out and not trying to analyze everything when it's a big decision. That's a tough balance, right? Question number nine, Bill, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I ate a bag of trail mix. (laughs) Right on. Amanda, how about you? I grabbed lunch with four of our on-chain monkey holders. We were just at the one-off panel and we all went to a taco place and I were figuring out who to pick up the bill. I'm like, oh, wait, you're all holders. This is like a mini meeting of on-chain monkey. So I grabbed a little lunch with four ladies. We appreciate you fueling up before the show. That's for sure. Last one, question number 10. What are you doing next after the podcast? I believe we have another podcast and then we're doing some investor meetings actually while we're here as well. Nice. But we are hitting Meta Gala tonight. Yes. All right. That's kind of the next big thing tonight. We also like to stack our podcasts. So get them knocked out. So before we let you go, where should folks go to learn more about MetaGood, about on-chain monkeys, about karma, everything you guys have going on? At a high level, you can go to MetaGood, M-E-T-A-G-O-O-D.com. Also on-chain monkey, like O-N-chain But really, if you want to get more details, I mean, everything is in our Discord, the on-chain monkey Discord. And also Twitter at on-chain monkey is really where we share all of our information. Okay, there it is, folks. Word is also, I just have to mention, we are going to do a little giveaway in collaboration with on-chain monkeys and also Karma. I think we're talking about doing some allowless spots, super highly sought after for Karma, I think 10 of them. So thank you so much. Very, very grateful for that. Please keep an eye on our socials for information about how to get a hold of those. And let's also just thank Consensus for bringing us together today. We're live at Consensus in this really cool podcast booth that Coindesk has graciously offered us. And just awesome to be here in person with you guys and hear all the amazing things you're up to. So I think we want to move over to segment three, Hot Topics. Our normal co-host, Ethan Janney, covers this section. He's not here with us today, so Josh and I will do it. And it's all about X-Punks, and we are fortunate to have one of the founders, Kyla Waugh, here to join us here at Consensus and to talk all about X-Punks. So, man, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Dude, we got to start at the beginning, man. What is the origin story of X-Punks? It's a crazy story, actually. So, what happened was it was down October. I was broke, completely broke. And then I, I was always following up with, like, the XPL, the community, and also with Ripple. And then Ripple announced their 250 million creator fund, and that's when I thought, like, hey, maybe this is a moment I can actually do something in the space. NFT technology isn't there yet, so we had to get creative. We actually did. We were the first in the world to tokenize whitelisting. We issued 5,000 tokens on the XRPL. I actually borrowed 100 euros from my girlfriend to be able to do that. And we issued the 5,000 tokens, went live, launched our Twitter, and within two hours or something, we had 3,000 followers. And within 24 hours, we had a 12 million market cap. Holy cow. That's amazing, man. And it's brave to take on a new protocol for such a name. Like Punks has such a legacy to it. What was the experience of building on Ripple and what kind of hurdles did you have to overcome along the way? One of the biggest hurdles was, I think, more of getting trust from the community because issuing a token is easy. We didn't have the art, yes. The art wasn't there because we couldn't mint. We had to convince the community that we are a trustful entity. We do live up to our promises. So one thing we really focus on is transparency. We doxed ourselves very fast. 
even in our white paper, we wrote a white paper as an NFT project, which is already quite special. But even in our white paper, we have all the separate wallets that are dedicated towards like our budgeting with all the tokens in there. So people can see when funds are moved out or not and what the funds are used for. We're very transparent in everything we do. And because it was new though, you had to mint a token before the NFT technology is even ready, right? Yeah, it was a crazy experience. And even like after we launched, this whole community, XP community, saw a lot of potential for themselves as well. So there's about four or five hundred projects building on this similar structure with these IOU digital voucher tokens. This is amazing, man. I love too when organizations like Ripple dedicate funds to projects like yours to help them become yeah, they've been reality. Tremendous. Right? That's amazing. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about current functionality, current utility, and then what's next, what's on the roadmap. One of our utilities is also helping the community. So we have, for example, incubator drops, where new projects come to us and they say, hey, we need this small boost of exposure. And by doing so, they'll airdrop part of their supply to our NFT holders. That's one thing we do. We received the creator fund from Ripple to build a new project called Eden. It's about the Eden Doctrine. Can't say much more, but it's gonna be a really cool story. Long project, about 10 months out. And with the Xpunks, we created an entire ecosystem called onxrp.com. Okay. This is an NFT marketplace. We have a decentralized exchange. We have a gaming platform launching our own game on there as well. Not Eden, something different. And that's a 10 multiplayer battle royale obstacle run game where people can put up a stake up front. And then the first person who reaches the end, they win the, the pool basically. So it's play to win. Wow, Jeff, this is clearly not your average punks we're talking about here. They're doing some really incredible stuff with utility and taking NFT innovations next level really trying to shine a light on all the cool possibilities with ripples technology too sounds really great and so cool to meet you in the ripple house if people want to get involved and plug into what you're doing where do they go what do they do so we have a website xpunks.club we're going to be redefining it as soon as we mint we have twitter at xrplpunks and then we also have onxrp.com and it's also onxrp.dot.com on twitter we have discords as well happy to help happy to answer any questions from the community members and we're here we're ready guys reach out kai is there and xpunks is happening it's here so many fun things to come check it out and josh you had one last no point. just another surprise for our listeners that we're gonna be doing an xpunks giveaway as well so stay tuned for information there there it is that'll be fun kai thank you so much thank you for having us thank you great to meet you so i think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of nfts for today so thank you for exploring with us We've got space for more adventures on this starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers to make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes or Spotify right now, rate us, say something awesome, and then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Thank you again for exploring with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.